Good morning, everyone. It is good to see folks still come to church. Um, it's a little bit embarrassing to admit, but I don't mind embarrassing myself every now and again. Uh, I had completely finished writing the sermon, um, usually on Tuesdays. That's my day when I'm here at the church and no one else is. And I love it that day. It's probably my favorite day. Not that I don't like the other people that come around. It's not that. But it's just that I can concentrate so much. I can seek the Lord. I can go over the Bible and, and look around. And I can follow the leading of God. And, and Tuesdays is that day. And usually I completely finish Sunday morning's material on that Tuesday. This past week was, was normal. I was able to completely finish Sunday morning. And it always takes a little bit of stress off. You know, I don't like to procrastinate and wait till the last second to come up with something. So I like to get it done early. And, you know, you can spend the rest of the week letting God tweak on it or letting God change things or even meditate on it and think about it a little bit. And that's just kind of the rough plan that I, I have and try to stick to. And that's what I had going this week. Everything was finished Tuesday until the Wednesday night prayer meeting happened. Um. It was such a great prayer meeting. We have had some phenomenal prayer meetings, um, getting to the point where we're, we're having a tough time with room over there. I mean, we're, we're really getting crowded, um, and it's such a blessing. There, there is something about brothers and sisters uniting in prayer. It's like it, it doesn't matter if you're male or female. doesn't matter your skin tone or, or your economic status, rich or poor. All that stuff goes to the wayside you come together in unity and you start calling on God. It is so encouraging. I was sharing a few moments before the service began this morning. There was one point where we were praying with someone. We had someone in the midst and we were praying for them because they had a problem. But somehow in that I received encouragement. I don't know how that works, but it did. They were the ones with the, the problem we were lifting up, but I walked away encouraged. And I'm telling you, these are the things that have been going on in our prayer meetings. I have enjoyed them so much. Um, there's an intensity there that I, I, I just fail to be able to convey to you the, the intensity that I feel. Uh, and during that, that prayer meeting, I, I felt the Lord say, go back to the drawing board, son. You, you missed it this time. And that's okay, you know, I'm just a person and... Uh, during that prayer meeting, you know, it was like God was giving me this little glimpse of the power that is in prayer. There is a power in prayer. You can prevail in prayer. You know, that's a, that's a phrase from the old school preachers of a bygone generation. They used to prevail in prayer, which means pray until something happens. Pray until you get victory. And that, that still exists. And we, we've lost the art of that, but there is a prevailing that can happen in prayer. And I, I tasted a little bit of that Wednesday, and that caused me to, to completely scrap what I had labored over because God said, no, not this time, maybe some other day, and, and could rewrite something completely different. You know, it's, it's not necessarily the power that's in prayer alone. You know, it, it's in the one that you are praying to. That's where the power lies. But, but prayer is the medium in which we contact God. It is the means. It is the methodology which we contact God. We, we can petition this all-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present God. He is there to tap into. And I, I, sometimes I don't, it's beyond me why we don't tap into that. We have these humongous problems in this nation. Problems that, honestly, 
I, I truly believe are beyond mankind's best plans. Even if a, a politician has the best intentions at heart, I believe some of those problems are way beyond man's ability to fix. We need divine help from someone that is greater than us. We, we have it through the power of prayer. We can prevail in prayer, but many times we don't. Prayer is the means. It is the method. I mean, come on, brothers and sisters. You, you have to understand the devil is on the march, isn't he? The devil is on the march. Why shouldn't the people of God respond to that? Why shouldn't we? The, the enemy is having his way in our school systems. The enemy is having his way in our, our cities. He's having his way in our music, in our entertainments, in the arts. He's attacking our children. He's attacking our families. He's attacking our marriages. He's attacking our churches. He's attacking many people in this church. And talking with Pastor Joe, we, we did. We call this the season of attacks. Sometimes you, you notice as a pastor, you just go through different seasons, which Ecclesiastes tells us there's different seasons to life. This has been a season of attacks. It's almost like I'm, I'm getting to the point where I've had enough of the enemy's attacks. He's attacking people. He's attacking marriages. He's tearing families apart. And I'm about tired of it, and I want to tap into this power that's called prayer. I want to prevail in prayer. Someone somewhere has got to start petitioning the Almighty God for help. Amen. Now, this next thing that I'm going to say is going to sound completely unrelated to everything that I just said. There's a Jewish festival coming up. I actually looked it up and it's this year. It's on March 6th. So, pretty close to now. Which I thought this was funny because when the Lord told me to go back to the drawing board, I didn't know any of this. And here it is about a week away from March 6th. And this festival is directly related to everything that I just said about the power in prayer. Everything. Now, this festival on March 6th, I'm not asking you to start observing it. I'm not asking you to celebrate it. I'm just telling you about it. It's called the Festival of the Purim. Okay, I know we've probably never heard of that. It's, it's actually a Jewish festival. This is a real thing. Um, I do not believe, from what I looked at, that it is really celebrated here in America. They do celebrate it some in Israel. They do celebrate it in Jerusalem, especially the festival of the Purim. Okay, this, this means the festival of lots. Okay, the Purim is the plural form of the word lot. So it means the festival of lots. I know that kind of sounds weird, but by lots, I'm talking about the game of chance that they used in the Bible. Many times you might see a phrase in the Bible, or in the King James Bible at least, which I use, you might see the phrase, they cast lots, right? We, we've read that many times through, through the scriptures. And you, you might see it, matter of fact, for example, in the book of Jonah. Remember when this, the sea was boisterous, they were getting ready to sink, they threw everything out, and finally the sailors got together and said, someone has angered the Lord, so they cast lots. Remember, and a lot fell upon Jonah, and they slung him overboard. So that was this ancient game of, of chance is what it is. And I looked it up, and it may have been, now this is just a conjecture, but it may have been like stones with certain markings. Obviously they didn't have uh, dice back then so they used what they had there may have been stones with certain markings or something and they would throw these things and it was this this game of, of random chance 
and it was just kind of called casting lots. And that word is Purim. It means lots. So this festival is coming up. You're probably thinking, what in the world does this have to do with prayer or, or prevailing in prayer or, or, or seeking God and beseeching God? Well, there's another situation in the Bible which lots were cast, but they were for a much more sinister purpose. But before we get to the meaning of the festival of the lots or the festival of the Purim, we have to understand some history. I like to build up to things so that you can truly and really understand them. You, you probably noticed that. Hopefully you don't get tired of, of gaining a little context and history so that we can understand what God's trying to communicate to us. Now, in a nutshell, here's a little bit of a historical lesson. Uh, the Babylonian Empire, one of the greatest, largest empires the world has ever seen, it con conquered Jerusalem, right? And the Babylonians are the one that destroyed Solomon's temple. Solomon's temple was supposed to be like one of the wonders of the world, one of the most beautiful architectural structures to ever exist. Um, and it was destroyed, remember, by King Nebuchadnezzar. You can read all these things in the Bible. King Nebuchadnezzar, he destroyed Solomon's temple. You remember he stole all the precious instrumentation that they used in worship and sacrifice and so on and so forth. He stole all of it. Anything of gold and brass, precious metals, he took all of it and they took it back to Babylon. He plundered all their valuables. He enslaved their people. If, if you actually look, it says that King Nebuchadnezzar, he took of the best people. He took the highly educated ones. He took the nice looking ones. And he left the rest of them in that land as, as vine dressers, as laborers to, to work all the fields, to bring the crops to him so he could be more prosperous. If you remember, that's how Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got taken into Babylon is through King Nebuchadnezzar. He was educated, his friends were, and they were taken to Babylon. So long story short, the Babylonian Empire was more or less conquered by the Persian Empire, another huge worldly empire, and the Babylonians were destroyed, conquered by the Persian Empire. And again, the, the people of God, are they're displaced, they're enslaved, by these Persians, and they were ruled by a king called King Cyrus. You can read about him in the Bible as well. Well, King Cyrus was, he was somewhat partial to the people that he defeated. He, he, he felt sympathetic towards them, if you would. And he allowed some of them to worship their gods. He actually allowed some of the Jewish people to return to their holy land and actually start to rebuild their temple and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. You think of the, the times of Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, those guys were allowed, King Cyrus allowed them to return to their holy land and start to repair the gates and start to repair the walls and start to rebuild the temple. They were responsible for building the second temple. Uh, Ezra, he was a scribe is what he was. He could read and write. Unlike many of the people at that time, Ezra was a learned man. And, and if you read about Ezra, Ezra's an awesome guy. He actually goes back and he finds the book of the law. And, and Ezra begins to read it as these people are reconstructing the temple. They're rebuilding the Holy Land. Ezra would read the book of the law to them as they built. And you remember Nehemiah, would, he would rebuild too with a sword in his hand and uh, 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 tools in the other hand. And, and, and that's how these men were. And, and the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are actually awesome. I suggest you go through those books sometime on your own. 
But I only mention them because now we're worked up to the correct time frame where, where we need to be this morning. The rule of the Persian Empire. Okay, and it's, it is this huge empire. It's parts, large parts of Europe, large parts of Africa, and large parts of Asia. So, I mean, this is, you're talking a big chunk of the globe that these people ruled, that, that these Persians ruled. Well, along comes another king, King Xerxes. He's a Persian king, okay? And now the Bible calls him, uh, actually does this in many places in the Bible, actually uses a different name. It's a different type of spelling. But in the King James Version, it's too hard for me to pronounce. So I'm going to stick with King Xerxes this morning, okay? So if you see me get to a name that says something else, but I put Xerxes in there, it's one in the same. Same person, just too hard to pronounce. Now that, that historically gets us up to where we need to be this morning. Maybe you're thinking, what in the world does any of this have to do with prevailing in prayer, reaching out to God in the, the festival of lots that you're talking about that's coming up March 6th? Well, we're making our way to it. Esther chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Xerxes, this is Xerxes which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia over a hundred and seven and twenty provinces. Now stop there for a second because I want to read a little archaeological discovery to you that I found. At one of Xerxes' capitals, Persepolis, a foundation tablet was excavated in which the emperor Xerxes boasted that his empire extended to India and Kush, which is Ethiopia. The India referred to is the region of Punjab today. So, so here we have a little bit of historical evidence, archaeological evidence unearthed that substantiates this biblical account, that it's historical accuracy. So I always think those little things are neat. Um, there's actually a whole lot more I could have added into this, but we don't want to look, go down that road. So this Persian king Xerxes reigns over this large area. We just read uh, 127 provinces, so very large portions of continents on the globe. One of the largest empires that the world has ever seen, these Persian uh, ruled. And they, they have displaced Jews all throughout these regions. Remember, their, their land was destroyed and many of them were taken away. And they're just kind of dispersed all throughout all these regions. The, these Jewish folks in, in all these different provinces. Well, the book of Esther goes on and it introduces us to two people. Okay, and as we're going through this, keep in the back of your mind this, this festival that I told you about. The, the festival of the Purim that they still celebrate in Israel to this day. So, it's going to introduce us to two people. Hadassah and Mordecai. Esther chapter 2 verse 5 says this. Now in Shushan, that's the palace, where the palace was. Now in Shushan, the palace... There was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity which had been carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. 
So there's those two characters that the Bible tells us about. Hadassah, better known to us as Esther, and kind of like her uncle who, who takes her in as a daughter, Mordecai. Now Esther, long story short, because we don't have time to read all of it, Esther ends up becoming one of the Persian king Xerxes' wives. He most likely had, probably had dozens and dozens of wives. That was kind of their culture back then. Uh, so she was probably one of those wives. Queen Esther was now. Meanwhile, meanwhile, this wicked, a wicked Jew hater rises to power. And it's going to start looking very bad for the people of God. They're going to find themselves in a very, very difficult situation. They're going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place. I mean, you, you think of the, the Babylonians has defeated the, these Jews. Now the Persians rule over the Jews. Now this wicked Haman is going to rise to, to power over the Jews. They're already displaced. They're already dispersed. They're already exiled. Things just aren't going very well for the people of God. And now here, wicked man named Haman is going to rise to power. The Bible introduces us to this character in chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. After these things did King Xerxes promote Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. Now this Haman hates Jews. He hates them. He detests them. He can't stand them. And this man is very powerful. This Haman is very powerful. He's pretty much the second in command. Matter of fact, King Xerxes, he kind of just hangs back, enjoys his life, eating good, living good. And he kind of says, Haman, you kind of take care of this stuff. If you have any issues, come to me. But other than that, Haman, you got the power. Do what you need to do. So this man is evil and wicked, and he hates the Jewish people. And he's looking for an excuse to get rid of these people, to exterminate them off the land. Well, Haman, this, this wicked man, this Jew hater, he gets into a, a little disagreement with a man, the Mordecai, who we've already been introduced with. Now, I don't know if I said this earlier, maybe I didn't, but Mordecai is a, a Jewish man, okay? So Haman gets into a little disagreement with him. Esther chapter 3 verse 2 tells us about the disagreement says, and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and did reverence Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Now, we'll stop there, but this is not because Mordecai is just a jerk or, or a hard-nosed type individual. It is not that. Mordecai actually only bowed to God. He only reverenced God. That he was a godly man, a God-fearing man. He was very devout. So he didn't bow to any men. He did not make uh, uh, obeisance to any man or reverence any man. He reverenced God. He worshipped God. He knelt before God. Well, this makes Mordecai, who can't stand the Jews anyway, it makes him mad. Now, how many of you know sometimes serving God can cause some trouble in your life, can't it? Sometimes making a stand for your beliefs will cost you. Sometimes it can be very costly. We see it happening today. We see it happening all through history. Read a little bit of true church history and you'll see that this word of God has been very costly to an awful lot of people. 
I love, I love to read about our early church fathers. We don't teach about them enough. Our early church fathers were awesome men of God and they would protect the scriptures from errancy and most of them, most all of them paid for it in their own blood. The truth is very costly. There's always a war over the truth because the truth is so precious. Sometimes taking a stand for your beliefs is very costly. Esther chapter 3 Verse 5. We'll continue on in this story. Are you, are you keeping that festival that I told you about in the back of your mind? It's all related. It's all connected. Esther chapter 3 verse 5 says, And when Haman, remember the wicked man Haman, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. Verse 6 says, And he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had showed him the people of Mordecai. Wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes, even the people of Mordecai. Now, I like to use the King James, but verse 6, if you'll look at it, the King James kind of words it a little bit tricky. It says, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. What that means is, once Haman found out that Mordecai was a Jew, he scorned the idea of just harming Mordecai alone. He thought, no way, I'm not going to just harm him alone. I'm going to get rid of all of them. In other words, this, this wicked man, Haman, he wants to genocide all of the Jews. He wants to exterminate the Jews off the mat. He, he found his chance to rid the land of these monotheistic Jews, of these Jews who said there's only one true God. He found his reason. He's going to get rid of them. How hateful and how wicked is this man Jew, yet how believable, my brothers and sisters, is this story this morning. It is the story of the Jewish people. How many times have we seen throughout history this anti-Semitism rise up and they want to exterminate the Jews? Can anyone think of a man named Hitler? So to me, when I see this book of Esther, I have no qualms at all about believing the truth in it. Because we've seen it, even in modern history, repeat itself. Very believable is what I'm saying. I find the circumstance that Mordecai and these Jews are going to find themselves in, I find it very believable and I have no reason to doubt this story. As a rational human being, they're going to be in a bad way soon. Very bad way. This, this really, if you, if you think about it, this is the story of the Jewish people, is it not? It, it is the story of the Jewish people. Hated, displaced, enslaved, and persecuted. That is the story of God's people. And this is part of it. So Haman wants to eradicate the Jews. Not just Mordecai, not just his family. He wants all of them wiped off the map, extincted, if you will. Gone, genocided. Now, here this festival is going to start making sense to us now. Look at Esther chapter 3 verse 7. It says, in the first month, that is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Xerxes, they cast her, that is, the lot, before Haman from day to day and from month to month to the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. Now, the month Adar roughly equates to March. 
the, the month we're getting ready to come on to. So here we finally arrive at this, this casting lots that I mentioned to you earlier. And this verse they call it pur. That's the singular form of a pur, of lot. They cast the lot. Purim is the plural form. Okay, so they, they cast these. Well, what are they doing? What it is is it's, it's these evil men surrounding Haman. They hate these Jews. Mordecai didn't bow when he should have. So it ticked off Haman. So Haman gets his evil cronies together, and they start rolling these dice. They start casting these lots every day, from day to day, and they do it for almost a whole year, and they're waiting for this certain number to come up, which represents a certain day, because when they get that, they're going to say, there, that's the day that we're going to eradicate. That's the day we're going to genocide all these Jews. So they're casting these lots. They're casting these lots. And finally it lands on this day that's representative of March 6th, which is coming up next week. They have their day. Finally the lots fell the way that they wanted to. These evil, wicked people, they got their day now. Haman and his evil friends cast lots to see which day would be chosen to genocide all the Jewish people. They cast those lots and they finally got it. Esther chapter 3 Verse 8, so he has his day now, now he goes to the king. And Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of the kingdom. Remember, there's 127 provinces. And their laws of these Jewish people, they're diverse from all people. They keep the, they, neither keep they the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. Haman says, if it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasuries. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the Jews' enemy. So more or less, this Haman comes and he says, King, just sign this. It will make you money and it will eradicate a, a group of people that don't believe like we do. These Persians had many gods and the Jews didn't believe in them. Here they are talking about the one true God. They were monotheistic in their beliefs. And Haman said, King, this will make you money. It'll get rid of these people that don't believe like we do, that don't think like we do. They're nothing like us. We might as well just wipe them off the map. So the king says, okay, here's my ring. He's going to seal this decree with his ring. And it's sealed, meaning it's a done deal. It cannot be overturned. Once it has the, the signature of that ring from the king, it cannot be undone. It's going to happen. Imminent pending destruction. The people of God are done for and realize, too, that it's on a specific day. It's not just a question. See, I can stand here today fairly confident. But, you know, I, I may die 20 years from now, hopefully 30 years from now, whenever it might be. But I'm not too worried about it at the moment. I feel okay because I don't know the date of my death. If I knew my death was next week, man, I might be a little bit nervous. I might be acting and behaving a little bit differently. Because I, I can feel confident because I don't know the day of it. These people, the Jewish people, they know the exact day they're going to be genocided and eradicated. 
Esther chapter 3 verse 13 says, In the letters which were sent by posts into all the king's 127 provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, March, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Now, how would you like to see that here in America if they issue a decree that says, hey, all of you Christians, on March 6th, 2023, your neighbors, as long as they're not Christians, can shoot you dead and take all your stuff. It's going to be a free-for-all against the Christians. Eradicate them. Wipe them out. Wipe them off the map. It would be unnerving and it would be scary. On that specific day, they will slaughter all the Jews. Now post this all around the 127 provinces of the Persian Empire. Well, of course, this rocks the Jews. They are undone. Esther chapter 4, verse 1. Says this. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, all the 127 provinces, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting, and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. People back then used to put on sackcloth like a, a more abrasive clothing, and they would wipe ashes on their faces. And, and it was a, a, a humility towards God, a penitence towards God. And they would lay there because they were undone, because they were about to, coming up on a certain day, be slaughtered. They were going to be mercilessly slaughtered. By everyone. And you could take their stuff. And it didn't matter if you were a woman. didn't matter if you were a child. They were going to slaughter everybody. And it was law. It was law. It was a holy command decree from the king. Their situation is very hopeless. One of the most powerful empires in human history is about to turn on them and destroy them. They don't have a chance. They're going to be eradicated by the enemy. The enemy is just about to have his way with the people of God. Kind of like the enemy's having his way with us now. Amen? I see the attacks on people in this church. I see it. I see the battles that our people are going through. I see families being torn apart. I see marriages being torn apart. I see the enemy coming and taking captives, our young ones. What do we do? There's so much evil in our nation, we barely even know what to do. There's evil all around us. It surrounds everywhere, all around us. What in the world do we do? What are the people of God to do? There's evil everywhere, from top to bottom, left, right, front, back, evil all around us. What do we do? You ever, you ever sometimes, you know, as a pastor, people might come and they tell you their situations, and I'm like, Lord, I don't even know where to begin. This is so messed up. 
This situation is so messed up and hopeless looking. Where do I even begin, Lord? Well, we have this story of Esther here before us. Let's see what they do. I just wonder, maybe this is why God put the book of Esther in the Bible. For us to read. Because maybe someday, we might be in a bad way. Maybe someday, we might have a decree against the Christians. Against us. Maybe we may be attacked like we are being attacked, even in this church today. Maybe that's why we have this book. The Bible says nothing new under the sun. That's why he's given us this word. This has happened before. The, the attacks we face, people of God have faced them all through history. And they're recorded for us in the Bible. Well, Mordecai, he goes to Queen Esther and he asks for help. Remember, they're all undone. They're wearing the sackcloth and they've smeared ashes all throughout the 127 provinces. It says they're weeping and they're wailing. And they're, they're penitent before God. They're humbled before God. And they go to Queen Esther. And we, we look, we, we ask ourselves, okay, here they are. Impending doom. Impending eradication. Facing a genocide, for crying out loud. What do they do? What did they do? With this doom hanging over their head. With, a, with an actual specific date in March. Rolling closer and closer and closer. What did they do? Well I want to read to you now Queen Esther's response. Queen Esther was awesome. Listen to her response. Esther chapter 4 verse 16. Mordecai had went to her. And he said Queen Esther. We need help. What, what, what should we do? What should we do, queen? Look at Esther's response. Verse 16 of the fourth chapter. Esther says, go. Gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. Remember, that's where the palace is. And fast ye for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Do you see what Queen Esther said? She calls a prayer meeting. She calls a fast. What a novel idea for the people of God. Amen. Things are looking bad. They've been displaced. They're not even at their home. Their temple's been destroyed. They're, they're, they're dispersed all through these regions. This March 6th is coming closer and closer and closer. And what does Queen Esther say? Let's fast and pray. What an idea. Maybe, Queen Esther says, maybe we could petition God. Maybe we could ask for divine assistance. Maybe we could include Him into our situation and get some of His thoughts on this situation. She calls a prayer meeting. She calls a fast. Do we have any brothers and sisters that in here this morning that believe like Queen Esther? Do we have any in here this morning? Queen Esther even goes on, and I love this and I respect this. She even says, and if I die, I die. Oh, I love that attitude. She says, we're going to fast, we're going to pray, and if it kills me, then it kills me. That is a one-track mind Christian, and I love that. Queen Esther, what an example she is to us. Church, when the enemy is having his way, get to the prayer meeting. When the enemy's tearing up your family, get to the prayer meeting. When the enemy's messing up your marriage, get to the prayer meeting. Get to it. Something might just happen. You can sit there if you want to and not become a part of it. 
Good luck to you. I'll pray for you while I'm there. But I'm going to be at the prayer meeting. Lo and behold, you might even try fasting. When a church starts fasting or when an individual starts fasting, you know somebody's getting serious about the things of God. Because we're Americans. We overindulge in everything. Everything. You mean go without food for one single day? Won't I die or something like that? Won't I get a disease or something like that? I assure you, you won't die. What is a fast? Sometimes I think people don't understand what a fast is. A fast, it is depriving yourself of daily sustenance for a cause. It is depriving yourself for a period of time of the very thing you need to live for a specific cause. Well, well what cause? Oh, I don't know. How about so the enemy won't have your kids? I don't know. How about a cause of like uh, so the enemy won't break your marriage up? How about a cause like so the devil can get booted out of our schools and universities? How about a cause of like seeing your neighbors be rescued from the pits of hell? How about that cause? Is that cause enough for you this morning? It's cause enough for me. How about the cause of this? How about the cause of maybe we could petition Almighty God through fasting and prayer so that He might strike down any and all pro-abortion legislation? How about that cause? Is that cause enough for you? How about the cause of that, that God could get men and women off of pornography? How about that cause for you this morning? These are causes that are worth it to me. They're worth it to me. Yes, but fasting and prayer is hard. That's right, it is hard. Shouldn't it be? Isn't there very dear souls hanging in the balance? Shouldn't it be a little bit of a battle? Shouldn't it be a little bit different? You think saving souls is easy? Saving souls is not easy. We just did communion. It costed the Lord Jesus blood. There's souls at stake. So if you fast, and lo and behold, you have stomach pains, or maybe like I do, I get headaches, let it remind you of why you're fasting. Embrace the suffering. Embrace the pain. I wonder. I just wonder if the Lord added Esther to the canon of Scripture as a blueprint for when things get bad with the people of God. It's a blueprint. It's God trying to say, hey, when things get bad, they went bad for my people long ago. And what did they do? What did they do? They called a prayer meeting. They called for fasting. All throughout the land. Well, I got news for you, New Hope Church. We're in a bad way in this nation. We're in a bad way. We are in a bad way. I don't want to be a downer or discourage you. But we're in a bad way. Maybe it's time we call a prayer meeting. Maybe it's time we call a fast. Well, how does the story of Esther end up? Well, it turns out that fasting and prayer are quite effective. They're quite effective indeed. Things go badly pretty quickly for Haman. This wicked Jew hater hates the people of God. Hates the message of monotheism. Hates it when people don't worship him and lift him up. 
hates it when they don't bow when he comes around. Things go downhill for him very quickly. Now, we won't read it all because it's a long story, but Haman, the Jew hater, ends up getting hung on a set of huge gallows that he had built to make a spectacle out of Mordecai. He built them with the intentions of hanging Mordecai to humiliate him, to humiliate the Jews. He made them extra big, and he's the one ended up dangling off the end of the rope. All his house gets turned over to Esther. Haman, all of his sons end up getting hung on that same gallows. It collapses for Haman. His plan collapses. Esther chapter 9 verse 1 tells us this. It says, now in the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar. Here we are on that date comes rolling around in March. On the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment, And his decree drew near to be put into execution in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them. Though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. Verse 2 says, the Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Xerxes to lay hands on such as sought their hurt. And no man could withstand them, for the fear of them all fell upon the people. If you actually keep reading that, it actually says a lot of people turned to Jews. They turned to Judaism in those days because they had so much fear for these people. Skip down to verse 5. It says, Thus the Jews smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword and slaughter and destruction and did what they would unto those that hated them. Skip down to verse 16 says, but the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew of their foes seventy and five thousand, but they laid not their hands on any of the prey. As it turns out, brothers and sisters, prayer and fasting was effective. Prayer and fasting got them up out of that hopeless situation. Prayer and fasting gets God involved in the situation. Prayer and fasting gets divine help that is greater than mankind. Amen. Hallelujah. I don't know who in their right mind could call the Bible boring. I don't know who. I am enamored with these stories. I love them. I I take them in. I receive them. I believe them. I want to live by them. Now, we'll start bringing this to a close. A band can make their way back. But don't tune out just yet because it's very interesting, even the closure of this story. If you remember... I started out this sermon by telling you about the the real life festival of the Purim that is coming up March 6th. A real thing. You can Google it when you go home. Esther chapter 9 verse 24. We're going to make this whole thing come full circle and understand this festival now. Verse 24 says, Because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, The enemy of all the Jews had devised against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. Verse 25 says, But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters 
that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Wherefore they call these days Purim, after the name of Pur. Therefore all the words of this letter and of that which they had seen concerning this matter which had come to them. That is why the Jewish people to this day celebrate the festival of Purim. It is celebrate this day to commemorate the power of God that saved his people from the Persian Empire. That those lots were cast with wicked intentions by evil people. And they are celebrated now by the people of God because of what God did. The enemies of God were casting lots to see what days they could kill the Lord's people. And now that same day stands as a commemoration of what God did through a praying and fasting people. Can anyone in here say amen to that? Amen. Let's rise to our feet this morning and, and realize this. Prayer and fasting is powerful. The devil don't want you to pray. The devil don't want you to fast. If you fast, he's going to make you think you're going to die because you never had anything to eat. He's going to give you the worst stomach pains in the world. He's going to give you a headache. He's going to say, just go ahead and break that fast. Don't do it. Give in to it. Because he knows it's a secret weapon. We have the blueprint right here in front of us. Can anyone say amen this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. Man, let's worship the Lord. These altars are open. Next, this Wednesday, get to the prayer meeting. Amen.